I don't know if you noticed that, but Holly, she did that at the first service too. She prayed that nothing would come out of my mouth that shouldn't come out of my mouth. And uh, that would never happen like at home or anywhere, nothing would ever. We're so glad that you're here today and it's so good to hear you, hear you sing. Uh, good to sing the truths of, of God's word that whatever lot would come our way, whatever trials we would face, that, that God, uh, we could say to the Lord, it is well because of Jesus. A 35-year-old man battling the darkness and debilitating nature of depression. At times, he's confined to his own bed for months, unable to play with his kids, unable to work, unable to escape the dark clouds of doubt and anxiety. A 16-year-old girl who watches her father die a slow, miserable death due to an incurable form of cancer, and still a child herself, now in the last days of her father's life, she's the one brushing his hair. A 41-year-old man who is told by his boss, we're moving you out of a job that you've always loved into another job that you don't maybe want and you did not choose, but it's what's best for the company. And a 76-year-old man who loses his wife of 55 years, alone, tired, mourning the love of his life, wondering if there's any purpose for him. This is the story of our lives, or to borrow from an old soap opera title, these are the days of our lives. Trial by fire, the valley of the shadow of death, many dangers, toils, and snares. We saw this again yesterday, just five miles down the road. And so is there any answer to all of the suffering that we face in this life? Christians for centuries have believed that, that this book is the very word of God. Jesus himself taught us that it is. And so does God's word offer us any hope when we go through the fiery trials that we all go through? Well, this morning we're in Daniel chapter three. I encourage you to, to turn there in your Bible. If you, if you didn't bring your Bible today, there's some there in the pews and it's page 692. Uh, we'd love for you to follow along. I'm gonna read the entire chapter. And so there's a lot here. I want you to stay focused and ask God to speak to you today. These are the most important words that you'll hear this morning. You're gonna see some pictures on the screen as I read this text so children, those may help you, and children at heart. This is the word of the Lord. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, and they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the furnace, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who's able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And so, God, we pray today that you would Bless the reading and the teaching of your word. God, would you speak to us today? We, we need you. And we want to hear your voice. We're listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so this is a story that so many of us know so well. It's a story we love to tell, but there's so much God wants to, to teach us. The Israelites are in captivity. These are God's chosen people, the Jews, the chosen ones, and they are in Babylon because of their sin. They're exiles. It's not the first time. It won't be the last. When Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem in 605 BC, they deported the professional class of people to the city of Babylon, and there they would be indoctrinated into the Babylonian culture. You may know that today, modern-day Iraq is the former area of Babylon. It became the largest city in the world at this time. And uh, the Babylonians were pantheistic, meaning they worshipped a multitude of gods. Not just one god, but many gods. And I give you this background because these are real people at real moments in history. All of these events took place about 600 years before Jesus was born. So for us today, 2,600 years ago, these aren't made up people, not made up cities, not made up events, real people And remember why these people, the Jews, are in Babylon. Their sin led them there. But here's what we'll see today. Even in the darkest places, even in the the greatest fires of our lives, it's still possible to be faithful to God. And more importantly, God remains faithful to his people. He never abandons them. He never will. And so Nebuchadnezzar makes this massive golden image. He's possibly determined to make his kingdom last forever, fulfilling Daniel's dream in chapter two. He's just gonna forget the part that there's other kingdoms that are gonna come after him and defeat him. No, I'm not worried about that. So we're just gonna make this statue entirely out of gold. It's 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. That's the height of nine basketball goals stacked on top of each other. And we said last week, that from the floor to the ceiling here is about 55 feet. So almost twice as tall. This is a massive image, a huge image made of gold. 
and it's all about Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't say that the image is of him, but his, he's the man behind it. His name is mentioned seven times in those first seven verses. He's an egomaniac. He's so vain. He probably thinks this song is about him. Yeah. And so it's all about him. And he's going to gather all the rulers of his kingdom. That's who all the people are in verse 2. And they're mentioned over and over again. You might have noticed as I was reading this story, there's a lot of repetition in this passage, a lot of uh, monotony. And some people think, uh, some theologians think Daniel was being humorous as he wrote this passage to just show the ruthlessness of King Nebuchadnezzar, the silliness of what he's doing. And so it's a huge ceremony, a lot of pomp and circumstance. And it doesn't say that those that would come and be forced to bow down to the image, it doesn't say that they have to give up their their personal God of choice, but just that they must now, in addition, worship the king's image. And this is what happens in all pluralistic societies, Babylon, later Rome, and even today in the United States. You can worship whatever God you want in private, but do not bring that into the public sphere. You can do whatever you want. Keep that in private, but don't go around talking about the exclusiveness of your God in public. And there have been recent studies in America by sociologists that have shown that professing Christians in America that when the church teaches on a particular issue, it could be sex or marriage or sexual identity, and then the culture says the opposite thing, that more often than not, the majority of the time, those professing Christians in public go with what the culture says instead of what the church says. And so in private, they believe in Jesus, but in public, they've bowed down to the image. That's the pressure that we're all still under. That's the pressure that Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were under in Babylon. And so there's this huge ceremony, all this beautiful music taking place, string instruments, wind instruments. The King James Version says that it's a full symphony. And um, by the way, there's power in music. I think that's why he uses the music. Think about this, that next time... Uh, You watch a movie or a television show, listen for the music. It's always there. It may go away for a few seconds, but then it comes back. If you tried to watch anything without music, you'd turn it off in about 30 seconds. It's just boring. We go into a a store, there's got to be music playing or an elevator. And studies have shown that we're more likely to purchase things if we're in a store and there's music playing. God created music to have this innate power to draw us in, and that can be a beautiful thing if it draws us to him. But in this moment, I think he's using the music to try to manipulate the people. It's why Holly and I say all the time in our church that music is great, it is, but Jesus is greater. Music's not the goal, Jesus is And so everybody's just going to bow down to the image, and that's what happens in verse 7. They all start to bow down. Well, not everyone. And so verse 8 tells us that there were certain Chaldeans. These were some of the highly educated Babylonians. They start uh, maliciously accusing the Jews, and they tell the, the king in verse 12, there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're not bowing to your image, king. And apparently the king didn't Notice this for himself because they had to come tell him and evidently Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't out parading around their strong moral stand. 
did you guys see the other day with, at the big thing that we were the ones? We, we didn't bow down. Did you guys notice that? They didn't go and post this spiritual event on their Instagram. Hello? They weren't, they weren't being jerks about it. They were just seeking to honor their king. But Nebuchadnezzar is furious when he's told that these guys don't pay any attention to you and he erupts in anger. He orders these guys to be brought to him in verse 13. He gives them another chance. Maybe you guys didn't understand the directions the first time, so here it is, bow down, or you're going in that fiery furnace over there. Maybe he adds in a little maniacal, ha, 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 ha. And the entire story turns on verse 15. Look what the king says to them. Listen, fellas, if I throw you in that fire, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He's saying, who's the real God here? Your God or me? Is your God more powerful than me? And he sets before them a choice. And I think the Lord would say to us today that choice is still set before us. When things get hard, when everyone else is turning against the Lord and the culture is going the other way, will we take a stand for him? Even after the events of of yesterday, Will we choose to believe that he's still God, that he's still working? Will you stand for me? And these three friends, their minds were already made up. They didn't even need to think about their response. And so they say in verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king Mic drop. And it seems crazy, doesn't it? Like the easy thing would be just, just bow down to the image. I mean, everybody's doing it. You don't have to mean it in your heart. You'll get to keep your job. You probably got a family that you need to support. Most people will never even know that you bowed down. No, they're not crazy. They're faithful. They knew that to disobey their God would, would be to, to disobey the God who revealed himself not as one God of many, but as the one true God of the whole world. And they understood, they, they knew that whoever loses their life for the Lord truly finds it. So they were confident. They said, God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. There was no doubt in these guys' minds that God had the power to save them. And listen, we need to hear this today, brothers and sisters. Whatever you are facing, this is what these men are saying. God is able. God is able. It could be depression or divorce or death or job loss. God is able. And in case you think, oh, that's just an Old Testament promise for an Old Testament people. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able. They knew, they knew that their people, the Israelites, had been in captivity before in Egypt and that God had miraculously delivered them. And they'd seen it with their own eyes in chapter one. You remember that story? They stood before the king. They, they refused along with Daniel to defile themselves with the king's food. And what happened is they, as they stood up for God and their obedience, God delivered them. The king didn't kill them and they rose up in the ranks of the king's government. So they had been through a trial before. You see, their past test had made them ready for their greatest test. Their past test had made them ready for their greatest test. And we know that this is how God works, right? We don't like it, but the trials that we go through in life make us stronger. We don't want to go through those trials, but, but they're for our good. It's why James said, count it all Joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The great Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon, he said, great faith must have great trials. Your faith's not gonna grow unless you face hard times. There's an old gospel song by Andre Crouch. He says, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. But as we face them, God is able. He will deliver us. Do you believe that? But, but, Oh, this is so important. Look at verse 18. Notice their submission to God's perfect ways. But if not, if he doesn't deliver us from you, O king, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, what are they saying? Is it really faith in God if you have to add but if not after it? Oh, I think God wants to speak to us in this today. I know he wants to speak to me. You see, these friends, their confidence was actually in God, not in their limited understanding of what they thought God might do. Their confidence was actually in God, who God is, his character, his person, not in their limited understanding of what they thought that God might do. And they knew with every fiber of their beings that God is able. It's what gave them confidence to, to defy the king. Yet hear this. They did not know how God would choose to rescue them in that moment. And so they believe that God is not only able, but that he is in control. God, God is in control. We've said that's the theme of the book of Daniel. And this is so hard for us. Some people would say to us, and you can find this all over 
your television that if God is, is going to bless you, if you're going to have blessings in your life, you must tell him what you want. You must claim it. And you must believe it with all your heart. Claim, name it and claim it. But that's not the attitude that we see here, nor do we see that attitude in other places in the Bible. Think of all the greatest servants from Abraham to Joseph to David to Jesus himself who often prayed, often prayed, but did not get the answer that they sought. Jesus, on the night he was arrested, the next morning he's going to be crucified and he prayed, Father, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of death. The cup of God's wrath against our sin that was about to be poured out on him. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, if, if you get upset with God because he didn't answer your prayer exactly the way that you wanted him to, what that means is that you're trusting in God plus my plan for my life. God plus my plan for my life instead of God and God alone. Listen, don't, don't believe the lie that, that you didn't get your prayer answered because you didn't pray hard enough or long enough or good enough. Yes, pray. Pray without ceasing. It's one of the most important things that we can do as believers. Talk to your God. Plead with your God. Pour your heart out to your God. But as you do, trust, trust that he will do what is absolutely best in your life according to his will and commit that you'll trust him no matter what. And so these three men understood that God is sovereign and that it was his choice whether he opted to be glorified in their deaths or through their dramatic deliverance. Because listen, for the Christian, death is not defeat. Death is victory. Oh, it's our prayer that all those yesterday that lost their lives, that they knew Jesus. And if they did, them losing their lives is not defeat. Death is the greatest deliverance. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and who doesn't want to be with Jesus? And so live or die, these men are saying, we will be faithful to our God. With Job, they say, though you slay me, still I will hope in him. Faith means following God, whatever his purposes may be. It does not mean that we always know and understand his purposes. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's filled with fury in verse 19. He orders the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He's, he's enraged. These guys, they're going to be cooked well done by the time he's done with them. And so he orders the strongest men from his army to come and to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. Throw them in there with their clothes on in hopes that they would just immediately be engulfed in flames. And this all happened so fast that these strong men, the best men of Nebuchadnezzar's army, they die in the process because the fire is so hot. And so there's some irony here. God is able to protect his people. Nebuchadnezzar is not. And so in go Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That should be it. Game over. End of story. To any family standing by, please collect their ashes on your way out. 
But look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And so two amazing things here. Number one, they don't die. They're not even harmed. The verses go on to say that their clothes don't even smell like fire, like smoke. And that's impossible, right? Like you open your grill for like three seconds and you, you, you smell terrible. And um, sit around a fire pit. Uh, thank God for, for Texas barbecue. But you go into Hutchins or Spring Creek and you smell like smoke for three days. That's the only, that's the only bad thing about it. So it's amazing that these men don't die. But more importantly... They're not alone. They're not alone. There's another in the fire. There's another in the fire. Notice that, that they're not just standing there. They're, they're not sitting. It says they're walking around. Think about that. As we face the fires of our life, uh, could it be because of his presence that, that we can face them because he's with us? Now, we don't know... For sure, who Nebuchadnezzar saw in this fire. Some people think it was Jesus himself. Uh, in theologians would call that a Christophany, Jesus appearing before his incarnation. A lot of people think it was Jesus. I tend to think maybe it was. Others think it was the angel of the Lord who represents God himself. That's who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. But the most important thing, the vital thing, is that God was with him in the fire. He fulfills the promise that he gave to his people through the prophet Isaiah. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, for I am the Lord your God. Fear not, for I am with you. Notice, God doesn't say, I'll take you around the waters, or I'll keep the fire far away from you. No, I'll be with you. I'll be with you in the midst of it. I am with you. And that's the third thing God is showing us here in this passage, God is with us. God is able. God is in control. God is with us. God did not simply rescue his servants from the fire. He sent his presence to be with them in the fire. You see, God does, God does not always shield us from trials and sufferings. We're reminded of this again yesterday, just five miles down the road. We're not always shielded from trials and and sufferings, and many people are waking up this morning with that reality once again. The book of Acts tells us that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but it's in the loneliness of life, in the darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, in the fiery furnace that the fourth man comes and walks with us. And some of us need to, to hear that today and really let that sink in. Whatever you're facing, God is with us. You're not alone. You're not alone. Single mom trying to raise your child, you're not alone. 
student, maybe struggling to, to find friends at school or dealing with mean kids, you're not alone. Single adult, no matter what age you are, you're not alone. Widow or widower who's lost your spouse, they've gone on before you, you're not alone. Woman who's been abandoned by your husband, you're not alone. God is with us. God is with us. Look for him in the fire. He'll be there. Now, how can we know this for sure? Like, like I want to know, like with rock-solid certainty, that when I go through the trials of life, I want to know that my God is going to be with me. How do I know this wasn't just some miracle reserved for the Old Testament? Well, one word, and it's always the answer. He's always the answer. Jesus. That's how we know God is always with us. The very name Jesus was given, Emmanuel, means what? God with us. You see, Jesus came to earth, and on earth he felt the, the full range of pains and sorrows that we all feel. And I just want to remind you of that today. When we go through the fires of life, Jesus cares deeply. In Psalm 56, it says that he, he has a bottle where he keeps, he keeps our tears so God cares immensely about the pain that we go through. And so Jesus was not immune to all of the pain, all of the temptation, yet he never surrendered, even under the greatest pressure. He was falsely accused, condemned to death by the Roman authorities, nailed to a cross. And like the three friends, his obedience was tested, and he was found faithful unto death. Yet unlike the three friends... Jesus went through his fiery furnace completely alone. At the cross, Jesus felt the utter aloneness of total abandonment by God. And there at the cross, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, at the cross, there was no deliverance from death for Jesus, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were good guys, but they were still flawed human beings. There were other moments in their life where they bowed down to idols. There had to have been, because the scriptures tell us in Romans that we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. So they bowed down at other times. So we needed a substitute. And so Jesus went to the cross because God demands rightfully, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, the wholehearted allegiance of all those he has created. But when we disobeyed, hear this, instead of casting us into the fire, God took all of our fiery judgment curse and laid it on his son at the cross. That's the greatest news in all of history, that Jesus went through the fire for us so that we would never have to, so that we could come out safely on the other side. And we have this promise that even in our wondering, even in those moments when we do bow down to the idols in our lives, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, the final verses tell us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of that fiery furnace and, and um, 
The, the hinge verse that I said earlier is verse 15. Who, Nebuchadnezzar asks, who is able to deliver you from my hand? And he has to eat his own words because he's forced to answer that in verse 29. And he says, there is no other God who's able to rescue in this way as he sees this dramatic deliverance. And that's our prayer, that as, God's, as people see God's work in our lives, as they see us come through the fires, as they see us believe through those fires that God is able and that he's in control and know with all of our hearts that he's with us, that they would see our example and they would say, there's no other God. There's no other God who can rescue in that way. And unlike Nebuchadnezzar, they would repent, turn from their sin and believe in Jesus. And you can do that today. Romans 10, 13 tells us that Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today God wants to rescue you. Will you place your faith in him? God is able. God is in control. And God is with us. The 35-year-old man I started with who who battled depression his whole life, that's Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the, the greatest Uh, pastor in London in the mid-1800s, pastored the largest church in the world at that time. History has called him the Prince of Preachers, yet all of his life he battled depression and anxiety and doubt, but he knew and believed in his heart of hearts that God is able, that God is in control, and that God is with us. The 16-year-old girl that I mentioned who lost her father way too young is my wife, Holly. In the final days of, of her dad's life, Instead of him brushing her hair as he did so often when she was young, she was now brushing his. But Holly came to know and believe with all of her heart that God is able, that God is in control, and that God is with us. She passed through the fire, and God was with her, and he's using her today. She's leading a Bible study in our home where there's a 15-year-old girl who recently lost her dad, and God's using her to speak peace and comfort into her life. The 41-year-old man who lost his job or had to move out of his job into another job was Steve Wilson. Steve and Debbie led our marriage conference this weekend and did an amazing job. If you haven't met the Wilsons, you need to. And Steve, when he was 41, he was a youth pastor. That's what God had called him to do. His pastor comes to him one day and says, "We're, we're taking you out of being a youth pastor. You're not the youth pastor anymore. You're now the married adults pastor. And that was hard because Steve loved students and he knew God had called him to do that. But it wasn't long until he saw God's sovereign hand all over that and he trusted that God is able, that God is in control and that God is with us. And now as a result of that, God is using he and Debbie all over the United States to to bring hope to marriages with the power of Jesus. And the 76-year-old man who lost his wife of 55 years, that's Johnny Barrett. And Johnny teaches one of our life groups here at First McKinney. And when his wife Sylvia died a few years ago, it broke him, the love of his life. He wondered if God still had a purpose for him. But he knew and believed in his heart that God is able and that God is in control and that God is with us. And today, Johnny not only still teaches that class over in the chapel, He's also our church's champion in the country of Moldova where he travels regularly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. 
And each of these people and so many of us in this room and millions around the world from every people, nation, and language have chosen to believe that even in the fiery furnaces of life, our God is still good and he's still working. And together, together as friends like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because we need each other. We weren't created to go through life alone. Together as friends, we stand not before the throne of Nebuchadnezzar or some other false god, but before the throne of the one true king, King Jesus. And we say all glory to our God, all praise to our king. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Christ and Christ alone be magnified. And today, whatever fire you are facing Wherever you find yourself, God wants you to know and believe with all of your heart that God is able, that God is in control, and that God is with us. Do you believe? Do you believe? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for... Uh, just how timely it always is and just for how you speak to us and uh, forgive us for, for not seeking you in your word with more regularity. We ask that you'd help us to do that, uh, help us to, to just follow you, Jesus. And we ask today that you would, in the final moments of our service, that you'd just speak to us and remind us of your grace and your mercy. Remind us that you're here, that you're with us, Speak to our hearts. Some today, if, if we could take a moment and just have a time of testimony, would just stand and say, yes, I'm in that furnace. And I want to believe with all my heart that God is with me, but I'm struggling. And so God, help us. Supernaturally, by your grace and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.